Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. Can a farm business really be both profitable and sustainable? What helps available to arrive at the answer? Very much around looking for opportunities to, to make savings, make investments, make changes to the business to make it more resilient. But then also looking at things like environmental options, so doing an audit of the farm on where could we make uh, the farm a bit more profitable by focusing on the environmental sustainability of it and taking some options forward from other countryside stewardship or the future realm schemes. We'll hear about some independent business advice that's available funded by DEFRA and we'll get a sneaky preview of next week's Midlands Machinery Show at Newark Showground. Well, we've got two very busy days in store. We've got over 220 exhibitors, that's regional machinery distributors, national distributors and allied trades. We'll meet another Lincolnshire Farming Award winner, get the weekly market reports and Sean Sparling has some timely agronomy advice. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. And it looks like we're in for some more of the wet stuff this week. The weather forecast at the end of the programme. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard, back after a long holiday. I don't think I've ever had a three-week holiday in my life before, but thanks to Andy Marsh for looking after the shop while I was away. I mentioned another Lincolnshire award-winning farmer. He's Ian Watson, Louth Park Farm Manager, recognised at the recent NFU Community Farming Heroes Awards for inventing an important but simple gizmo that could save lives and farm businesses. Ian, you received your award on Back British Farming Day at the House of Commons. Congratulations. The award isn't really for me. It's for a huge team of people that have been involved, from uh, the guys at Lynx Fire and Rescue, Jamie Patton, who's based here at Louth, and Mark Baxter, and Dan Moss to names. There's a few within Lynx Fire and Rescue. That's without the guys on the ground who have worked tirelessly this summer to ensure that all the farms and you know, any farm fire there's been when there's been many, they've worked very, very hard to minimise damage uh, and, and loss of crop uh, to, to round to farms and also to all the other farmers in the area because this has been an ongoing project since 2019. We've had a lot of field fires this year that's seen a lot of farmers turn out, too many to name, uh, but they all deserve a mention because not only in the Louth area, but in other parts of the county and the country, farmers have come together to save each other's businesses, each other's crops, members of the public's property and their gardens as well. So it's been a huge effort. I've just been fortunate enough to be the man who's been nominated, but I see it as an award for the whole region. Tell us what is this gizmo that you've come up with? So the gizmo is an adapter that fits onto the back of a fire appliance and connects to a two-inch cam lock hose fitting that you will find on most farms, that would be on a water tank or water bowser. The adapter has been around for some time. It was a project we originally saw rolled out in Kent many years ago. But what myself and Rhonda and the guys at Lynx Fire and Rescue have worked towards is getting an adapter on every single fire appliance in Lincolnshire, that's all 48 appliances within the county, to have one of these adapters on. It seems just such a simple idea, Ian, but most of the best ideas usually are, aren't they? Yeah, I'm, I'm no rocket scientist or brain surgeon, so it's quite a simple idea. Um, we, we, we made a prototype after a large fire in 2019 on the outskirts of Louth. We couldn't get water to a massive farm fire there. We saw the issue, we were putting water into IBCs, into anything to then pump it into the fire appliance. And it was like, there must be a simpler way of doing this. 
Well, brilliant. Well done, Ian, and everybody else, as you say, who was involved in the project, uh, duly recognised, but congratulations on the NFU Community Farming Heroes Award. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. A busy week in our area this week. Looking forward to getting out and about at three different events. The Lincolnshire Rural Support Network's AGM on Thursday evening. The East of England Farming Conference during the day on Thursday, where the theme is greener and leaner, growing resilience in a changing landscape. That's at Peterborough Arena on Thursday. And Wednesday and Thursday, see the 2022 Midlands Machinery Show at Newark Showground. Show manager Elizabeth Housel, good morning. What can we expect from this year's show? Well, we've got two very busy days in stall. We've got over 220 exhibitors, that's regional machinery distributors, national distributors and allied trades. We have our three demonstration rings again. We've got large ag and handling, including some robotic machines and drones flying, as well as telehandlers and uh, loaders. We have a farm safety demonstration on both days, really running through what to do if you or your colleagues are involved in an incident on farm and how you can help save lives with quick action. We've got three driving experiences. The Ford Ranger coming to the show, uh, supported by World Marsh Producers. We've got the first time that the Ineos Grenadier is here. That's been test-driven around the 4x4 course, and that's been supported by Chandler's Farm Vehicles. And then we have an HGV have-a-go driving experience. So if you fancy giving it a go in an articulated lorry, that's been run by Diamond Driver Training. And we, of course, have lots of tech. We do. We've got a new launch of the JCB Fast Track that's coming through um, Shamans and G&J Peck. We've got lots of technology to really help farmers be more efficient and uh, try and cut down on their costs. And the NFU are going to be here, of course, as well, aren't they? They are indeed. So they're here on Wednesday morning and they've got a mini conference uh, discussing the topic, which is a very hot topic, of regenerative agriculture. They've got a number of speakers coming in to just discuss and explore and see how people can actually improve their soil health. And we have some awards at the show as well. We do. Thursday, we are recognising agricultural engineering apprentices within the Midlands Engineering Awards. We've got 12 apprentices coming forward this year to pick up their bursary, and we look forward to seeing them on Thursday morning. And we also have Neroso and basis points available, so please come to the registration desk and uh, collect your points. Okay, just finally then, when, where, what times, where to go for more information? When is Wednesday, Thursday, 16th and 17th of November at Newark Showground. Show opens at 8 in the morning and closes at 4 in the afternoon. And the website is midlandsmachineryshow.com. Elizabeth, good luck for a cracking show. Thank you, Steve. And if you're going to the show and or LRSN's AGM and or the East of England Farming Conference, let me know. The coffees are on me. To the damp and soggy fields we go now for a crop check and some timely agronomy advice from Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yeah, morning, Steve. Good to have you back. It's done nothing but rain ever since you went on holiday. Now, I'm not blaming that on Andy, but I'm just saying it's done nothing but rain since Andy took over. So, good to have you back. Bit more of the wet stuff once again this week. It's rained virtually every day for the last four weeks, as far as I can see. I think I've only recorded six days of dry weather since about the 18th of October. And despite the relatively mild, windy weather that we've had, things just don't dry out particularly 
quickly when you get into the middle of November anyway. And even a millimetre of drizzle may as well be an inch of rain because of the top-up effect it has on the wetland. So drilling on the more bodied, but not exclusively more bodied land, is a real challenge to say the least at this minute. As a general rule of thumb, if you walk into a field and it squelches, it's too wet to drill, but it's also probably too wet to go applying the pre-em or even follow-up herbicide. You need to pay particular attention when you're applying any residual herbicide, which are obviously the best things for blackgrass control because they can and will display vivid and dramatic uptake symptoms, particularly significant when they're applied onto waterlogged soils and then you get a bit more rain after application and it gets so wet that the herbicide just gets washed through and down to the developing root and shoot that's where it's going to look worse lots of herbicide uptake as you travel around the county and beyond incidentally i was in northamptonshire on tuesday at a meeting westminster tuesday afternoon in meetings and i saw field after field after field of really good looking wheat and barley crops very evenly emerged but showing very very yellow stripes and overlap stripes where perhaps it's gone in a little bit more shallow but as i said last week it should be transient and it will be doing way more lasting damage to the grass and the broadleaf weeds than it will be to the crop itself so don't panic far better that you've got it on and you're getting that effect than you haven't got it on and the black grass is getting away scot-free way more of an issue from a damage point of view depending on the product you've got and the way you've established the clonifen triolate in particular can be terminal so do account for seedbed conditions and just increase the expected losses rate in your calculations if in doubt just speak to your advisor about it and get their guidance before you both drill and spray on the worst black grass field and incidentally if you're not going to get the pre-em on to any of these bad blackgrass fields within four or five days of drilling you've got a little bit more grace now it's come a little bit colder then should you be drilling those fields anyway in the autumn as the optimum drilling and indeed any drilling opportunities become rarer and rarer the thoughts inevitably are going to turn to broadcasting the seed on and harrowing it in rather than drilling it now you may have loads of expensive bits of fancy kit that do that job but ultimately you're still spreading it on and you're still harrowing it in those crops are going to be at a much higher risk of adverse herbicide effects because of the inconsistencies of the seed depth. Always check the label as well before you go applying pre-ems to these broadcast fields. There are several products and active substances which have restrictions against applying them to broadcast crops, in which case you're going to need to go at peri-emergence once the crop's fully up in rows and you can see your tram lines. That's going to be best for the herbicides, but it's not going to be the optimum timing for blackgrass if that's what you're after. So speak to your advisor and be guided by them. Drilling is always going to be preferable to broadcasting in a blackgrass situation because the pre-em stands a far better chance of A, not hurting the seed and B of killing the blackgrass. Chacun à son goût though is your actual French say. By the way cloddy, sticky, claddy, rough open seedbeds are never a good idea from a blackgrass point of view nor are they a good idea from a slug perspective and slugs are at it again out there. No good for pre-em herbicides like triolate which is a gas that needs to be fixed into the seedbeds. If you're in any doubt give the Avidex a miss and use the spray on herbicides. Simplify mixtures as well if you've been delayed and the crop didn't get its pre-em and it's emerging. Plenty of wheat poking through that has yet to have its pre-em. For example, Flufenacet and DFF is going to be much kinder to that emerging crop than Flufenacet, DFF, Pendimethylin and Prosulfacarb. So pick your product. Synmethylin relatively kind as the crop emerges. But again, check label restrictions for timings on establishment type, calendar date, growth stage and all that jazz. And for goodness sake, be careful around these frosts if these crops are emerging as you go spraying them. If they haven't had a frost on them, you want to be 24 hours clear of that first frost. So if it freezes on the Monday night and it doesn't freeze on the Tuesday night, you can go spraying on the Wednesday. Thereafter, you want to be stopping spraying by about half three if there's a frost forecast to protect the crop. 
Oilseed rate foam has slowed down a little this week. Can't find any more in the field than I could last week, although there's plenty out there to see. Light leaf spot levels may be slightly easier to find out here. These mild wet conditions are perfect for that. So prioritise the dirtiest varieties, those with the poorest disease ratings. Prioritise the smaller crops as well, particularly when it comes to foamer. Always best to be in front of disease in oilseed rape, I know. And control can be achieved relatively cheaply. But we only have protection against light leaf spot we can only stop it getting worse for about three weeks and slow it down we never kill it so with it forecast to come an awful lot colder i'm just saying that the weather if that comes cold will slow the light leaf spot down probably better than a fungicide will and it will cost you a lot less still way too warm for propizomide but when you do finally get there in a week or two remember the stewardship guidance on propizomide use you've got to fulfill several bits of criteria to be within that guidance we need to be responsible and minimize any avoidable movement of propizomide through the profile and into the watercourses. So you want to be applying it preferably onto either a min-tilled established crop or a direct drill crop. You want at least six metre buffer strips by any watercourse or no watercourses at all, preferably around the field. A slope of less than 5% or less than one metre in 20 and no forecast of heavy rain before or after application by about 48 hours. In other words, don't spray when the field drains are flowing or if they're likely to flow within seven days of you going spraying. Best not to apply propizomide on fields that have been subsoiled or mould either in the previous six months. So avoid heavy rain before and after application. And it's way too warm for propizomide at the moment. It's red right across the Corteva app. Propizomide works far better as well anyway in cold, moist soils. But the crop does have to have three leaves as well. So make sure if you've got backward crops or you've re-drilled crops that they're big enough to actually physically go and spray. You've got until the 1st of February to get propizomide on. So pick a time over the next 11 weeks or so. Ideally, the conditions want to be 80% field capacity of soil, 10 degrees and falling at 30 centimetres, 8 degrees and falling at 15 centimetres. That'll give you the best result from the propizomide. Only use that full dose of 840 grams as well on severe blackgrass sites, 500 to 750 grams elsewhere if blackgrass isn't your biggest problem. And if you've used AstroCurb, remember you can't take the straw off the field unless it's going for burning. And also, just to be clear about the urea statement that I made last week urease inhibitors are not compulsory for urea for application in spring 2023 you don't have to have a urease inhibitor on that urea next spring don't be told otherwise there are several merchants saying that you've got no choice you have to purchase a urease inhibitor with urea that is not the case until spring 2024 so on that bombshell let's see what the next seven days bring thank you sean sean sparling sparling economy services back same time next week the Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. So can a farm really be both profitable and sustainable? Consultancy firm Ricardo has been selected by DEFRA to deliver the Future Farming Resilience Fund programme. Dave Freeman is Head of Agriculture at Ricardo. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Steve. What's the programme helping farmers to be resilient to? So... The Future Farming Resilience Fund, it's, it's funding from DEFRA for organisations like Ricardo to provide support to farmers through primarily the agricultural transition. So uh, a lot of that is focused on the reductions of BPS, which have, have started already and are going to continue for the next few years. But for us, it's also about supporting farmers to become more resilient to any shocks that their business might face. So things like changing weather, 
um, droughts and floods, and we've had plenty of those over the last couple of years. And, and things like kind of the, the challenges with fertilizer prices and and kind of the volatility of the market. So what we're doing is very much helping businesses to become fit for the future, to review aspects of what they do and identify where they can make improvements. It's really great that we've got support from DEFRA to be able to provide advice and support to farmers in the way that we are. So just to get this right, are they funding you as a company to be able to go out and give advice and consultancy services to farmers? Is that how it works? That's right. So um, DEFRA have made the funding available to to organisations like Ricardo and uh, we go and provide the advice to farmers. We provide support through things like online portals and toolboxes and, and webinars, those sort of things. So, yeah, the, the, the money isn't available to farmers directly. The money's coming through organisations like myself and, and, and Ricardo to, to provide that support to farmers through advice and business planning activities and those sort of things. Okay, so who's this aimed at? Is it any particular sector of farming or can anybody uh, call on your services? So Ricardo's programme is aimed at anybody who's in receipt of the basic payment scheme funding so anybody who's who's claiming bps who has a claim in england so even if your farm isn't wholly in england you can still make a claim um, you can still get support so uh, anybody across any sector uh, providing you you've got an element of bps for your business okay and is there a cost to the farm involved or any time commitment so we provide everything for free um, but there is quite a lot of time commitment, um, depending on what support you get. And, and there's a range of different um, interventions or different bits of support that we can provide through our programme. But in order to get the best value, farmers will need to commit some time. We want to have a look at things like your books and we'll want to have a walk around the farm and see what opportunities are there. And to engage with the programme fully and get the best from it, then you really need to, to spend some time to engage in things like workshops and webinars and podcasts and all the things that we've got as part of our service so no cost in terms of money but a bit of bit of investment in time but the investment's well worth it okay and what are the benefits that you'd expect a farmer to see from this project very much around looking for opportunities to to make savings make investments make changes to the business to make it more resilient but then also looking at things like environmental options so doing an audit of the farm on where could we make uh, the farm a bit more profitable by focusing on the environmental sustainability of it and taking some options forward from other countryside stewardship or the future realm schemes but beyond that there's an awful lot of support through we're going to be running webinars and um, podcasts um, so a monthly podcast throughout the program uh, and webinars every quarter and they're very much focused about how do you enact some of those things that may have been identified through your your one-to-one review where can a farmer go for more information how do they apply etc uh, it's relatively straightforward. Uh, there's a few places you can go to to find out about our programmes. If you have a look at uh, Ricardo's website, ffrf.ricardo.com, or just Google Ricardo Future Farming. Lovely. And is this underway now, or when does it start? Yep, all underway. So we started at the beginning of October, but there's plenty of space still left. So, yeah, get in touch with the team and... and we're already starting to, to get out there and support farmers. So we've got a whole suite of tools like how to do budgeting, how to, to make a business case to the bank, how to deal with stress. That's one of the most important things that I think we found through the program as we've gone through it is that uh, one of the things that can really stop people taking action is just the, the, the stress that comes with not knowing what to do next or not knowing how to take things forward. So you know, rather than stress being a blocker to us making changes, um, We've got support. We're working with the farming community network to to try and help people work through the stress 
use it as a, as a kind of an impetus to, to take action. So quite a wide ranging program, lots of little bits and pieces involved in our program just to help farmers be able to answer those questions of what do I do next. Dave, lovely. Thank you very much indeed for all that information. That's Dave Freeman, Head of Agriculture at Ricardo. Thanks for joining us on the farming programme. Most welcome, Steve. Uh, thank you very much for having us on and um, have a good Sunday, everybody. That website for more information again is ricardo.com. Time for our weekly market reports now, starting with livestock and from Louth. Good morning to auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for the first Monday of November sees prime steer sell to 256 pence per kilo and £1,481 for JC Scolia Bormba, while a prime heifer's top at 276 pence per kilo and sell to £1,515 for F. Wallace and Sons of Biscothorpe. On to the cool cattle, which see cool bulls sell to a top of 150 pence per kilo or £1,465 for F.W. Robinson and Son of Horsington, while a cool cow sell to 177 pence per kilo and £1,057 for R and BM Sim of Skidbrook, with OTM steers to 191 pence per kilo or £1,257 for M.A. Everard of Braytoft. This week was also store cattle week, which saw steers top at £860 for A.W. Lewis and Son of Grainthorpe, Heifers top at £1,300 for PG and NJ Rutter, and store bulls top at £690 for MA Everard. But moving on to the sheep with 383 lambs on offer to SQQ at 243.4 pence per kilo and all in average 240.6 pence per kilo. Top this week goes to GW Allison of Thorsway at 306 pence per kilo, while the pounds per head section was topped by DR and RL Burns across from Leicestershire at 126 pounds and 50 pence. Onto the cool used, 119 on offer, all in average 73 pounds and 64 pence, slightly back on the week. However, it must be said there's plenty of grazing and feeding ewes mixed amongst those. Top goes to Dyson Farming Limited at 142 pounds per head. Finally, just the store lambs. And the vast majority all long keep, which we'd probably not see back till next March or April, to all in average £51.95. And these top for JW Bullivan of Olford at £90 per head. A quick reminder, fat stock is just around the corner, is on Monday the 28th of November. Entries are open with all the details on the website. And the fat stock dinner is on Friday the 2nd of December. All details on our website. For all marketing, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Marketing. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver. See you next week and at Fatstock on the 28th. To the grain markets now with Openfield's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, everyone. We have seen what seems to be a very slow trading week, with the first half seeing traders trying to second-guess the USDA data that was released at 5pm on Wednesday evening. Demand destruction is being talked up everywhere, which is obviously not helping UK spot demand with the increasing numbers of avian influenza cases. One major consumer seems to be rolling a heap of their November wheat into February as demand has dropped. I'm sure many of you will be familiar with Gressingham ducks. They have lost its entire geese flock across three farms and their duck and turkey farms have also been affected. I hope you all have a turkey in your freezer ready for backup for the big day. On the flip side, weak demand for ethanol will likely rise in the new year, with no cheap maize available. It's interesting to see Ensis buying earlier in the week for delivery Jan-March. Globally, Chinese demand is a real concern, with Covid cases on the rise again in the southern province of Beijing. I suppose we now must ask ourselves what will need to happen for us to see the market rise, and the obvious answer to that is a collapse in the grain deal due for agreement on the 19th, with talks expected to be held at the time of recording. Russia wants something back in terms of a lifting in sanctions and Turkey and Ukraine are suggesting that they may carry on regardless with the Ukraine talking up using additional ports. 
In the back of my head, I must question, if the deal is going to collapse, then why is it open now for the last week or so of the deal? China need grain out of the Black Sea, and Russia really can't afford to lose any more friends. Having said all of this, predicting any of Putin's actions is a fool's game, and I certainly wouldn't put it past him to do exactly the opposite of what we expect. Ukraine availability is an issue. If the grain corridor deal does continue, there are question marks on whether EU homes will be excluded. The numbers into Spain particularly don't make a huge amount of sense to me if I was Russian. Also, as more leaves the country, we must remember that there is not an infinite amount of supply that the Ukraine have. They need to feed themselves first, with this harvest lower by 30%, and plantings for 2023 down arguably more than this. For a guide, 10 million tonne have now left Ukraine via the Black Sea. If Spain gets excluded from any deal, they could be short of feed grains. With EU maize crop size being downgraded again this week, this will mean an increased likelihood that more wheat is required. Remember that France are well sold after their pre-harvest sales to Egypt. The UK have good quality in terms of Bushel and Hagberg, and big boat business could beckon in the new year. Rain in Australia continues with more forecasts next week, although it's notable that the USDA raised the expected production on Wednesday evening. No mention of quality, though. With regard to oilseed rape, the USDA report saw South American numbers stay unchanged for maize, but saw beans dropping lower. This helped to lift our ex-farm oilseed rape and bean markets midweek. However, once again, the week has been turbulent for oilseed rape and followed neighbouring markets lower after the three-month highs on French Matif a week ago. The Chinese COVID news has halted rally in the veg oil market. Fears of lower demand, essentially. An update on South American weather midweek is also important. The USDA have pegged back Argentinian production, but no change yet to their huge Brazilian soya bean crop that is being talked up. In summary, Chinese demand and South American weather remain key here. Prices for this week. Feed wheat, Jan 257 to 267. Feb 258 to 268, with a pound carry per month on from here. Milling wheat premiums are still holding at around the £50 mark. Feed barley, January 228 to 238, February 229 to 239, again a pound carry per month on from here too. We still have demand for malting barley New Year and beyond, please call for firm values. Allseed rape, DEC 530 to 540, Jan 235 to 245. Have a great week everyone. Thanks as ever Alice. The Farming Programme, five day forecast. Low pressure brings some changeable weather this week, starting mostly dry and mild with a light southeasterly breeze and a few sunny spells. By Tuesday, the pressure drops and we'll see rain and gusty winds, mostly from the south, staying mild with highs in the mid-teens before turning colder on Wednesday with temperatures barely hitting double figures, more like November. Much the same for the rest of the week, but with the wind easing and veering southwest to west with sunny spells and showers. Next week, we'll be reporting from the Midlands Machinery Show at Newark Showground and getting to know a recent winner of a Lifetime Contribution to Farming Award. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.